sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. I'm trying to decide right now, Aaron, whether I'm feeling more piratey or more monkey. <laughs> well, uh, you're usually more monkey. <laughs> I, I don't know. That was, that was some low-hanging fruit. You didn't even, yeah, yeah. didn't even have to be a tree-climbing monkey for that one. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just in a weird headspace today. What what is what does weird feel like for you? Well, kind of, I, I'm feel feeling kind of foggy, feeling like uh, I kind of been batted around with some uh, some unexpected news lately, and some stresses that Allie and I have encountered, uh, all in a stew of uh, real connection and good times together. And we had we did you know virtual church yesterday again, uh, but it was so good we. Uh, we did what we uh, have you have you ever um, binge watched sermons? Can't say that I have. <laughs> We've binge watched a lot of stuff, but I found myself yesterday going, "Hey, let's watch another one." So that was good. Uh, so yeah, I kind of feel like I've been maybe on the inside of a cement mixer, just kind of knocked around, and uh, I'm in a bit of a daze right now. I'm hoping that I can string enough words together to make an intelligible conversation, something that is worth people's time. Man, I haven't slept for two days, and so I've been having trouble stringing words together either. <laughs> so this really? will be a really yeah. interesting opening <laughs> to this podcast. Luckily, we already did the interview, so that, that's Yeah, that's good. right. That's right. Um, you haven't slept in two days. I think, I don't know. Uh, uh, did you maybe catch a few Zs here and there? Yeah. Yeah, I usually yeah. I've been sleeping for like two hours and then waking up and just can't yeah. go back to sleep. So God, I hate that. I, I assume tonight will be better because my body must be completely exhausted at this point. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know those nights when it's hard to shut the brain down. Uh, my solution, by the way, I'll give it to you for what it's worth. My solution when I just freaking can't sleep is uh well in desperate situations a cold shower i don't know how that why that uh, tends to reset things but for me it helps you'd think it would wake me up i i would uh it's like the yeah it's like yeah. the win hoff sleeping method there <laughs> and then thank god for audiobooks and uh i don't you know i don't want to disturb anybody else you know i don't wake Allie up or disturb anybody else in the house so uh, i bought uh a a headband that has uh, earphones in it. So you just put it on. It looks like, so it looks like I'm, I'm getting ready to go skiing, uh, that, but it's Bluetooth. That is very interesting. All, all my years of having to be concerned with someone in the same room as me, yeah. I would go to the dollar store and get earbuds and just oh, cut yeah. one off with scissors so I could sleep on one side of my head and stick <laughs> yeah, it in yeah. the other side. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which uh, I'm, yeah, so I'm very. Are you petting the dog? I'm hearing chains rattling. There's either something. Yes. Uh, yes, oh. it is. Believe me, I'm petting that, the dog. That is quite Nothing the more chain that. that dog's got on. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm thankful for Spotify. They've got a bunch of audio books that are meant to put uh-huh. you to sleep, like the history of mathematics. Yeah. I Oh, isn't that a great one? Well, I don't know. I fall asleep. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, it's great for it's great for falling asleep. It's it's uh, read by oh my gosh. What's his name? Uh anyway, it's wonderful. Very soothing. Yes. So, anyways, uh yeah, sleeplessness, not not fun, not good for you. Then you just get sick at the end of it. So I, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm hoping tonight I'll be good and take some melatonin or something like that. Yeah, sure, sure. So I have had a very interesting experience in the last week. Okay, I would I would love to hear about I it. I have found a community of people at a place mm-hmm. that their whole purpose is to integrate community with work and art and food. And so it is a space that people come and work every day. People like uh-huh. me that don't have offices, people that can might have a place to work, but want to come for part of the day. It starts with morning meditation. Some days it ends with recentering, getting ready to go back home. Uh, there's a public house downstairs with live music four days a week. Uh, it has been very interesting. So I, I did go this morning to the morning meditation and have worked there again. And it has been so long since I have worked in an office kind of space with other people. Like it is, it Mm -hmm. is actually kind of hard to readjust myself to it. And then it's also hard to keep myself from getting in conversations and get work done. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I found that if I—that's the Aaron Porter I know. You, you're gregarious, and I can see you uh, uh, getting distracted by interesting conversation with interesting people. Well, yeah, I'm sitting right next to your old friend Jeremy every day, and he's always saying something yeah. funky and interesting. So, yeah, how wild is it that you reconnected with a kid I met 22 years ago when uh, when he was um, he wasn't he was. He was just a snot-nosed, pimply-faced kid, but but a a coding genius. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So anyway. So so those are the kinds of conversations. But man, I don't think I have worked in an office environment since we made that communal office at First Baptist Church. Uh, uh-huh. What fifteen years ago? And it feels uh-huh. so much uh-huh. like that, where everybody's just doing their own thing in the space, and then they come together yeah. sometimes, and they go back. Uh, and it really feels like for all of the stuff that I've been trying to re-engage in my life uh-huh. with other people, um, with with purposeful Silas calls, trying to be very consistent with that, exercise, all of that was mm-hmm. still on my own. Even yeah. my Silas calls that were on Marco Polo, we saw each other's face, but it was still right. so in the new virtual norm. And it's just a good reminder that being around people is really good and that you can get out of practice with it, no matter how gregarious you think you are. That's the interesting thing uh, that, that Aaron Porter of all people could have gotten enough conditioned by, uh, you know, the zoom culture and the fact that you have been working by extension alone, all the, uh, uh, for this long that you would have that you would have find it uh, a bit of a challenge to adjust to uh, flesh and blood face to face 
uh, fellowship. But it does That's it wild. does feel kind of like coming home and the awkwardness of coming home when you haven't been home for a while. Oh, beautifully put. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm so glad you found that place. So this is not an ashram. This is a. Uh, it's called it's it, called the Abbey. And, is it really? And it was started by an Anglican priest, the son of a man who mentored me, one of the the two most influential adult men outside of my family in my teenage years. I uh, mm-hmm. had not seen him since he was probably twelve or so. He wow. is now forty. And just happens okay. to live in my town, even though we grew up on the other side of the country in a small town together. Wow. Amazing. And talk to me about this public house. Yeah. I mean, the, the downstairs is is a restaurant. Um, they've got basically a bakery uh, uses it in the mornings to do kind of a lunch breakfast thing on the mornings they're open. And then at night, uh, another group comes in and does the food. And then he has some beer there and tries to get musicians in. So it's really, he, he spent time in Ireland. Um, uh, and, and I think it really is in the tradition of a British public house that's really meant for a place yeah, where yeah. a community comes and gathers, not a place that's a bar. And right, it right, really right. has that that feel and got to hang out with Scott Mabry on Friday night there, uh, with, no. with Abby and yeah, you know, it's good to be with Abby in the Abbey. So how long do you think it's going to take me to drive to the Abbey from my new home in Mount Pleasant when we finally are able to move in? Away? I can get to your place in like 40 ish minutes. So you could probably get there in 45. Really? Yeah. I okay. mean, if, if there's right. no traffic, I'm sure someone could pull yeah. off an hour, but I think it's, I think That's it's doable. worth the drive. That's worth the drive. Well, I'm going to have to come and check it out. Especially if you come and work once a week or something. Ex- work? <laughs> what is this work of which you speak? Yeah. No. Uh, well, we've got important stuff to talk about with our friend yeah. Chris today on story. So let's take a quick break and jump into that. So we will be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Chris Innan is here. Hello. Hey, what's going on? Good to see your face. You too. Have not have not seen you since November and enjoyed a very late Friday night with you. Yeah, we uh, we definitely broke into the wee hours of the morning around the campfire. <laughs> it was great. I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was one of my favorite parts of the weekend. Awesome. So what have you been up to lately? You know, um, just uh, continuing to do the Samson Society stuff. I, I feel like this is probably going to be one of the more inbred podcasts that we have because a lot of what I know and what I experienced is very much what the guys listening to this podcast experience, doing recovery um, and trying to put families back together, um, mine particularly, and uh, see what God opens up. Well, walk, walk us through that story. Sure. 
Well, my uh, my story kind of starts way back with a very religious upbringing. Uh, my dad was a Baptist pastor. Uh, I ended up being in the ministry as well, and I, I was a fourth generation minister. And so I was raised in the church. Had a very strong, um, I'll call it evangelical view of God, in the sense that uh, God was big, but God was also um, angry and loving at the same time. And so that was uh, the, the little bit of the split personality of God that's been discussed on the podcast recently. How did, and, how did that work out for you, though? Like Oh, oh for me personally? Yeah, like uh, practically. Yeah, I made a profession of faith when I was five because I, was, I got the hell scared out of me. And I uh, went to what, what the equivalent in the Southern culture of a, hey, let's, let's excite kids with the opportunity to have presence and have fun and then do a gospel message, which means if you die tonight without praying this prayer, you're going to hell. So that was my experience with God is that I grew up, you know, God was expecting a lot out of me and there was something uh, intimately wrong with who I was. And so I had to be a good boy. I had to live up to people's expectations. And as I got older, really the thread that what wove through that was I believed that God was disappointed in me and I had to do something to measure up. So that on top of a, a dad and mom who divorced when I was nine, dad was in ministry, left ministry. Uh, and then the, the trauma of living 300 miles from your father, seeing him every other weekend, uh, not really communicating much in between kind of led me to this place of, you know, I need to be the good boy that God has called me to be. I need to go into vocational ministry and had another experience at a church camp at 15. And so committed my life to, as we called it back then, full-time Christian service. And um, then was off to the races while all at the same time hiding, as many of us in the Samson Society did, this emotional pain and baggage I didn't know what to do with. And after a few attempts at relationships with young women, that was not very efficient. So I decided porn was going to be my route to soothe that pain. So I uh, enrolled in uh, Bible college uh, here in Mobile, Alabama, which is where I'm from, where I still live. Um, and uh, was doing the Christian side on one part with my all my fancy trappings and preaching and all those theologies that I was so enraptured with. And on the other side, uh, struggling with porn and masturbation in secret and couldn't tell anyone. So, um, so that fast forward, I got married, had uh, three kids. Uh, my kids are 2018 and 14, so they're a little older. I'm in my mid-40s, so that puts kind of dates it all. Uh, and at some point, my relationship with my wife got to the place where it really was untenable. She had discovered my porn use several times. She had emotionally checked out. Uh, we were virtual uh, roommates and co-parents for much of a decade or so. And um, I got fired from a couple churches after being a youth pastor for 15 years and really just was at a very low point and didn't really know what to do. And it's in that in the midst of that experience that I had my first encounter with what I would call an experience of grace, where I sat in a circle with 25 men and heard their story 
And uh, they heard my story and um, there was a lot of love and acceptance and kindness and a little bit of encouragement as, have you thought about this? Can I, can I give you some feedback here? But mostly just a, a grand experience of God's grace, which really reset for my mind, this whole theology of who God was and what the church was all about, um, where it used to be about being good enough and doing better and, and having the right truths. It now became, wow, I can experience the love of God in the midst of the people of God. Uh, and that, that experience was kind of the catalyst for me. It was about 10 years ago. Wow. And from that point up until now, I've just been hungry for those continual experiences of grace, whether they're one-on-one or whether they're in groups or they're at retreats, uh, you know, that, that's been the fuel for my recovery and it's still ongoing. I mean, I'm not, I'm far from perfect. I struggle. Um, I've been involved in Samson society for the last uh, five and a half years or four and a half years actively being in in-person groups. I found Nate's book a little more than a decade ago. So I, I've known the story, but haven't been living it out the whole time. So um, that's kind of where I'm at today. So tell me, fill in as you navigated your dad, I assume felt like he needed to leave ministry because divorce was not going to be okay within the context. Right. Right. Um, So as you move towards ministry and then you were kind of leading that double life, did you and he ever get to touch base on that? What, what was that relationship like as you, yeah, so, so that gets to the heart of really where my recovery took off, because that father wound was the core for me of why I was acting out. I didn't understand that. I didn't see that. Uh, I would have told you that it was because of the divorce and all of the, the trauma with that, as I generally told my story. But um, one of the things that happened, of course, three years ago, you were there when Jay Stringer showed up at the um, Eva retreat. Uh, he, he gave us the worksheet about doing uh, an arousal template, which is writing down the things that you Google on um, uh, to, to, to look up porn to act out. And so um, that was just shocking to me that, that I would go to that, le- that depth of telling my story. And so I, very intrigued, uh, was able to hook up with Jay and do a training as I moved into some addiction recovery coaching work. And in that in the group with Jay and five other guys, we sat down and we're, we're trying to find specific stories, specific places in our story where there was great harm. And one of the things that he encouraged is not to do the, the most severe thing. You know, for me, the, the biggest trauma would be the divorce. And I've rehashed that. Um, and, for, you know, the least was some other things, but pick something in the middle. And one of the things that my sister and I had talked about was an experience with my dad when I was 15 years old. And he um, came to me right after the death of my grandmother. He'd been dating this lady and told me at Thanksgiving that he was going to be married and he was going to be married that weekend. And he used the word surprise. Like that was something I was supposed to be really excited about, uh, you know. And so I wrote out in about 700 words in detail the emotional truths that I felt in that experience from betrayal to anger that I couldn't express, to abandonment, to um, just a, a general malaise of, of emptiness of here I am, a young man with really, I feel like my, my, my father's been taken away from me. 
this lady had two kids and he adopted them and that kind of became his new family. Mm. And so I had all that going on and it was in that story that I had written down and I shared it with the group, that group of guys that I was able to really begin to connect with the pain and the harm that it caused me. And why immediately after that was where, as I said, I began to reach out to young women for emotional support that didn't work and then turned to porn and masturbation as my crutch uh, to make that happen. So to answer your question, my dad and I have sat down and we have processed that story and it's still very much a mystery because there's a season where it looked like we were going to be healing and, and, and everything was going to be great. And then he went back to his old ways of trying to manipulate and control me made me feel like the little boy. And so um, it's been a hard road. I mean, even as recently as the past few months, we're still processing that. That is such an important story because as, as we face our own work, there are certain things we want to see happen and feel like it can happen. You've got the tools to articulate it and you see it clearly. And then sometimes we try to do that work with somebody else and we hit the brick wall of the fact that they have not done their work. Yes. And sometimes harder than that is they want to pretend to go along with the work that we're doing, but they haven't done the work. And so it doesn't last and doesn't work. And then that's the moment where we are supposed to, I'm going to say supposed to, because it can be just as hard, allow God to fill the need that void that was left by these other relationships. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely believe he can. Yes. But that is a whole other kind of work that often starts where somebody else has failed us in that healing process. I, I agree. In fact, on Father's Day, I don't really say Happy Father's Day to my dad. I mean, I do it as a token. Mm-hmm. But I reach out to a number of men who have been fathers to me and fathered me what some of them older than me but many of them have been my age but have walked with me and been willing to love me in the places that my father won't or can't and so that that kind of um nurturing and i think going back to the theological piece that is why the body of christ is so so significant a healthy accepting kind body of Christ that will welcome the brokenhearted in and love them in their time of need because the time of need really never goes away. There's yeah. not ever going to be a time in, in while I'm on this earth that I'm not going to need someone to walk with me in my brokenness and to love the young version of me that feels insecure and doesn't really want to grow up and trust God with all this, this stuff. But really that's the only way that I'm going to heal. And isn't it interesting, even even when I was thinking of you in that moment where you kind of accepted, okay, this, this is not going to be the version of healing mm-hmm. that I would love to have, and then having to go on the journey to discover how to receive that from God, yeah. so often it's, okay, let me read some books. Let me just make it a between me and God thing, forgetting that whoever speaks needs to speak the oracles of God. I'd love yes. that phrase, that the gifts he gave us are his various manifestations of grace. The, this is the physical opportunity to receive his father love. And that just motivates me 
to be like, okay, I, I need to understand the heart of the Father and the gospel really clearly, because right. those are the opportunities with one another where we get to receive and give that physical Father love. And I yes. love that you have that. It's it's within the body of Christ, within community. So somewhere along the line, you got passionate about stories, because that's what you talked about in your breakout session in November. So tell me the story of coming to be passionate about story. Well, it was in that uh, that experience 10 years ago in that first um, circle of men who, I mean, you know, you think about you go to a men's retreat and it's usually at a really nice if, uh, event location with a bunch of dead animals on the wall. And you're going to have a great speaker and eat a bunch of rich food and slap each other on the back and say, good job and get back to it. And this this experience was completely different. You showed up and you had a couple of guys who were willing to go first and were willing to acknowledge their brokenness and tell all of the worst parts of their life. And these were the leaders. These were the guys that were going to help us through the weekend. And it was just kind of crazy that, you know, they would talk about, you know, infidelity and they would talk about um, emotional affairs and they would talk about losing jobs and, and, and cheating on their families. And they're just going to throw that out there. And I'm like, oh, well, good for you, but I'm not talking about that. And as the weekend goes on, you hear more and more stories of vulnerability. The opportunities opened up uh, to Friday through Sunday weekend. And on Saturdays, you start giving a chance. You get 15 minutes to tell your story and 10 minutes for guys to speak into your story. And I was just sitting there wondering, when are we going to get to the important part? And then what I heard was two men, a father and a son, across from me in the circle, share their story. And the father shared all the pieces of brokenness, how he had wounded his son, how there had been uh, you know, so much neglect and abandonment that he really wasn't even thinking about. It. He was just trying to provide, trying to be a good dad, and yet he wasn't there for his son. And his son loved him and forgave him. And then the son turns around and tells his story of struggling with not having a father present and, and really not experiencing the love that he wanted to have and then having that reconciliation and and the two of them be in the circle. And I'm sure they had a lot more work to do, but that's what woke me up to say, wow, anything can happen in telling these stories. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I went next and uh, I didn't really know what to share. It was mostly cries and curses. I mean, I was F-bombing everything I could because I'd never been free to say that in an environment like that. You know, church was keep it under wraps, keep it tight. Uh, don't get fired. And um, I was able to really begin to share my story there. And that really became in me an addictive experience. I've probably done 25 to 30 of those weekends in the last 10 years. Um, I, I used to go and, and be all about, you know, I got to talk. I got to share my story. I don't care about sharing my story. I want to listen. Mm. I want to listen to where other men are. I want to love them in the place that they are in. And that continually speaks into me and allows me to engage the broken places that I really haven't seen and a, a story that maybe connects with me that kind of catches me sideways. And I'm like, wow, I never thought about that in my life or uh, gives me, and this I think is the most powerful piece of anything that we do is the experience of being with other men and not having answers and not being able to say, this is what you need to do next, but you're here, I'm here, we're broken, we can love each other in our brokenness. And in there, there's some 
crazy healing thing. I don't know. Somewhere in the Bible it says something about that, but <laughs> maybe we'll get around to James five sixteen later. So do you ever encounter, especially with people that have grown up in the church, I, I had a great family. My parents were so loving. Got to grow up on a river, and that was my little world near a junkyard so I could build forts out of <laughs> front ends of motorcycles. Couldn't have been better. Loved it. Nice. Um, and I was raised in the church and in a Christian school and got to learn so much. And the one thing I didn't have was a radical change testimony. Mm-hmm. And I loved Run, Baby, Run by Nikki Cruz. And I didn't have any of that. Come on. <laughs> and, you know, I would I, I would go to camps where it would have, it would always have the speaker that had a radical change testimony. That was their story. And it took me forever to realize that I had a big picture testimony that God's fingerprints were all over my story, especially in those areas of grace. And that everybody with a radical change testimony has to end up with a big picture testimony or their radical change testimony is bullshit. Exactly. So as you are teaching other guys to tell their stories, what are things that you run into that feel like a block for some, for some that feel like they don't have enough of a story, than other guys who maybe overtell their story in ways that they need to get it down to that 15 minutes. That's that's hard to tell your story in 15 yeah, minutes. It is. So what what are some things you've experienced? Like, okay, these are the hangups at both extremes, and here are ways to help empower people to that. Well, obviously, the, the you know, the first uh, example that you, you kind of alluded to is, you know, I grew up in a loving home. I grew up in a good Christian home. And there's the explanation of, you know, uh, there must be something wrong with me because there wasn't something wrong with where I grew up. And so um, Kurt Thompson says that when someone starts their story with, I grew up in a good Christian home and I struggle here, here and here, they just have no idea how the hell to describe their life. They're like, that's just their cop out for the story, because the reality is no home life is harmless. Everybody grows up with broken parents. Now, some people's parents are far more harmful than others in their um, either neglect or abuse or abandonment or any other thing that there, there, there may, may be there. But the reality is that we're all parented by sinners. And so as sinners are incomplete, they cause harm in our lives. And so the invitation for those people is to be able to tell the story more truly and say, okay, Maybe it wasn't mom or dad. Maybe it was uh, an aunt or an uncle. Maybe it was a grandparent. Maybe it was a teacher or a ball coach. Maybe it was a neighborhood friend who really brought into your life some trauma because trauma is everywhere. I mean, we experience that in all ways. And so I think as as people begin to tell their story, um, everybody's harmful places are relative. I mean, if everything was fairly... uh, mundane and mild, maybe the story of harm was I was abused uh, by a bully at school. And so they begin to have this narrative of something's wrong with me because nobody loves me at school or whatever that may be. There's always some brokenness in the story. On the flip side, for the people who have the you know miraculous conversion story, it, it tends to be either go one of two ways, especially in our, our circles, 
it tends to get spiritualized. Well, I was over here and the Jesus came and he saved me and he brought me way over here. And it was kind of like there was there's never any integration of the harm with the healing. I mean, therapist, therapist will tell you the whole purpose of everything that we do in this life is rupture and repair. There's brokenness, there's things that don't work right, and then there's healing at some point if we seek to experience it. So um, though for those guys, it's mostly just being with them and, and, and allowing the, the story to kind of run out. I think you kind of alluded to that in what you said. It just it kind of runs out, and you're like, okay, what's next? I've had this great transformation. So now how do I do life? Because everything I experienced before was totally chaotic. And now everything I'm experiencing here is, is otherworldly. What's How do I get up in the morning and drink my coffee and start my day? And so it's being able to sit with them. And really, it's probably easier to sit with the folks who have the mundane, uh, everything was great story, because the things they're realizing as they're telling their story is, wow, there was causes to my brokenness. Now, again, I want to make very clear, in no way, shape, or telling your story are we seeking to shame anyone that came before us or blame them in the sense of it's their fault. I'm broken because they did this to me and we play the victim. That's not the role at all. It's mm-hmm. merely to tell the truth behind my experiences, how I was formed, how the mold was made for me and in some ways it wasn't made very well because of gross negligence and abuse or subtle neg- negligence and abuse. So going back to that idea of just, you know, being present, being with and, and, and accepting with compassion and grace, whatever the person has to share. Um, I'm not there to judge anything about what that person's story is about or say, man, I've heard far worse than that. Or, you know, man, that, that story was horrible. No wonder you're so screwed up because, I mean, look at you. You had this and this. It's just taking in their experience, giving grace, giving love, giving presence to it, and then allowing them to work out what's next. And I think that is that is the ultimate question. Now that I've seen the truth, what, what can I do next? And one thing I love about Samson is it provides an incubator for guys to do that work. Samson is a safe place for men to continually process their stories bit by bit, week by week, conversation by conversation. And really one of the one of the few places that is organically built that way. Mm-hmm. So I just that's why Samson and story work for me kind of are, you know, two hands of the same body, because, uh, you know, you can move farther along. I mean, we, this whole thing got started because of Nate's story. If Nate didn't have that story and was willing to sit with it and share it and be one that says, I go first and then say, here's a safe place to talk about your story. We don't have Samson society. Let me go back and touch on something that you said that I think is a minefield. Okay. In our day and age where we, where we lay people have so much information about neurology, psychology, trauma, like the amount of information that people have is insane compared to 30 years ago. So, okay, I think about Jesus's friends and his has-beens. You know, when we say Matthew, we often add Matthew the tax collector. Right. Simon, Simon the leper, which is hilarious because that must have been so annoying if anyone ever said that to their face. 
Matthew's like, I'm not a freaking tax collector anymore. I left the booth. Stop calling me that. And poor Simon the leper. I mean, he was on the outs forever because of his leprosy. He doesn't want to be called that. But I think they did want to be called that. Hmm. I think there is the fine balance between holding on to the brokenness of our past in a way that embitters today's grace. Mm-hmm. And there is a way to carry our story as an act of worship. And that is a hard tightrope to walk. So where do you see that line being as people are telling their stories as you're inviting someone who feels like, well, I wasn't abused. Why am I having to find things that are wrong with me? How do people walk that line from your experience? Well, most everybody who seeks to tell their story, there is something wrong with them. They don't get to the place of wanting and do that work because everything is peachy and happy. Mm-hmm. There's some either it, hidden shame or uh, addictive behavior that they can't get away from and they can't explain. And so um, I, I think, you know, a, a lot of just to use your illustration of the disciples um, labels is that Jesus found them because they were in a place of need. I mean, he made very clear, you know, I'm, I'm here to care for the sick. And so if a person shows up and says, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. Don't have anything to share. Glad I'm here. I'm just going to give them a hug and say, so glad you're here. You know, sit back and listen, glean what you can glean. But the overwhelming majority of people are people who come in with gaping wounds, emotional, um, spiritual wounds that they're just looking for someone to love them. And it's, you know, even whether it's in a a week-to-week group or or a weekend event, they're the ones that are coming out front and just crying for evidently no reason. You know, that they've come to this place and they've said, and you've said, you can say whatever you want to say. And they're like, I can? Really? That's that's not possible. I've never been in that place before. And that just really belies the the underlying uh, theme of telling story and also of the experiences of grace which are, there aren't a lot of safe places in our world. There aren't a lot of places where people can come and say whatever they want to say and be loved. And so that to me, I mean, is the act of worship. You know, I I, I chafe a little bit at at churches who talk about being confessional churches. Confessional has two meanings. Confessional can mean these are the truths that we're going to, teach and preach about, but it also means these are the broken places that we're going to acknowledge exist in all of us. Mm. And so while I'm not against teaching the truth, I really long for spaces where people can come and worship in their weakness and say, you know, can you love this? I mean, it's, I use that in my talk. It's a, it's a quote by Brie Larson, you know, Captain Marvel. She said, I was afraid to tell my story because I didn't know if it could be loved. Can Mm. you love this? And that's what. So you're you're saying you're longing for a day when those who come to worship God will worship in spirit and truth? Uh, I mean, I think it's uh, implied in what he has to say in the context of how that that phrase was mentioned. Who was he talking to 
when he said you'll worship in spirit and truth. He was talking to a woman who'd been married five times. And it was living with a man who wasn't her. And she was trying to make a theological argument rather than being loved in her brokenness. Yes. That is beautiful. Well, Chris Inman, how do people get a hold of you if they want to hear more about the stuff you're up to um, or just want to ask some story questions? Well, if you're on Slack, you can hit me up on Slack. I'm, I'm on there. Uh, I'm involved in a book discussion group at, on Tuesdays at uh, 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. Uh, Central Daylight Time now, I guess it is. So it'd be 11 Central. We're going through that book. You can join that meeting. Uh, and also you can email me at chris at np-recovery.com. And that's uh, where I can be best reached. Awesome. Well, I hope that folks are thinking through their own story as we're talking and not just thinking about story as something outside of themselves. Absolutely. And hey, everyone has a story to tell. So you guys can practice it this week, even with people, you know, (laughs) Yes. say, hey, I want to I want 15 minutes to tell you part of my story. There you go. Yeah, you're not going to freak people out. I mean, they'll be too uncomfortable to even say no anyways, even if they don't want you to. <laughs> like, I can't imagine anyone saying no to that. Right. Yes, right. Just, just throw it out. Just throw it out. <laughs> nice. Chris, it is good to see your face. You too, my friend. Look forward to seeing you soon. Take care. All right. And we will be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Story. I mean, geez, we're talking to a guy who's kind of the last, what, 15 to 20 years of your life has been telling your story. Yeah, how, yeah, yeah. How, how has that changed for you? I mean, someone has to ask, do you ever get bored of telling your story? What's your response to that? <laughs> Not yet. And I think in the day, the day, the day I get bored, the day it no longer affects me emotionally, the day I no longer feel gratitude for where I am, uh, that's the day I'll stop. Uh, but, you know, it's that it, what I'm enjoying, Aaron, is st- I'm still discovering parts of my story, digging uh, below the surface of events or uh, to understand more clearly my own evo- emotions. You know, since the recovery communities started talking about trauma, man, all of a sudden I go back and reexamine my story and there are some things come together that I hadn't seen before. Mm. Uh, Also, uh, as I get more and more freed from shame, more and more willing to uh, acknowledge and embrace my shadow so that I don't have to project it on anybody else and I don't have to hide from God or anybody else. Um, being able to share more and more of the gritty details where it's appropriate, uh, as mm. I have found, it's been good for me, but it's also been good for the people I share it with. Turns out that story that I was so ashamed of and so determined to hide is my greatest single asset in ministry. It's the thing that uh, points most clearly 
to the grace and love of God and his faithfulness. Uh, it, it helps establish credibility with other people. So, uh, yeah, but <laughs> I, I was, I was going to ask you a question, but uh, my fog brain, it disappeared while I was listening to the rest <laughs> of what you're saying. So here's, here's something I was thinking about with that. Yeah. But one of the craziest thing, things about the gospel to me, because mm-hmm. understanding my identity in Christ reorients my perception. It's in right. my sure. yeah. head and in my heart. So yeah. understanding my gospel identity changes me now. Yeah. It changes my hope for what the future can look like. But the right, craziest right. thing to me is because our past is all in our head, there's no physical yes. past, that the right. gospel can reform how we perceive past events and how we perceive something is reality. So the reality of our past is changed by the power of the gospel. Yes. That's crazy. Yes. Yeah. It's miraculous. Yeah. And God wired us that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's on purpose. And I'm wondering, you know, uh, do we do we get a chance to do a review? I mean, that, there are uh, whenever you read these studies about near death experiences, uh, you know, a common part of near death experience is people reliving uh, the past, the my 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 history flashed before my eyes, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm wondering whether we get a full review. Uh, from a whole different heavenly perspective uh, when this phase is over and we're on to the next. I, I, I think because 1 Corinthians 13 says that faith, hope, and love remain, so they're apart yeah. now and will be then, mm-hmm. that we are going to get the purest form of our yeah. story that still has every ounce of faith and hope and love especially in the ways we didn't even see it because yeah. we were too blind to how deeply important all those moments were. And yeah, when we're yeah. stupid and when we're suffering and my greatest humiliation, when I'm coming through and out of that, that's when the hope is the deepest. That's yeah. when faith that is not conjured by my efforts becomes enlivened. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think those are the souvenirs and I have said many times I want to have dinner in heaven with Dietrich Bonhoeffer and ask him to bring all his souvenirs over so he can <laughs> show his faith, hope and love souvenirs over a yeah. good steak. Of course it'll yeah. be one of those steaks where no animals had to die. Those were they called like miracle <laughs> burgers or amazing burgers. I don't know how that's going to work in heaven, but I'm sure there's going to be some tasty stuff to eat. Yeah, apparently there is banqueting going on, so I like that because, yes. Uh, yes. Well, brother, I think we have about come to the end of this little visit, haven't we? I suppose so. How do yeah. I know? Sounds I good. Know. <laughs> Especially since we have another one coming up only minutes from now. Uh, indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are you feeling sharper now? Are you ready? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit more grateful, a little more alive, tuned up. So, if this one kind of sucked, hang in there. Uh, The next one will probably be (laughs) a little bit better. Only the bumpers. The interview is fine. (laughs) That didn't suck. No. And, you know, it killed me that I didn't get to be in on that conversation with you and Chris. I was so looking forward to doing that. Uh, 
but I'll get my chance. I'll get my chance. Chris and I are going to find a way to spend some quality time together. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week. A reminder, listeners, we love to hear from you. And you can always reach us at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Well, that's it for this week. Oh, by the way, if you really enjoy this podcast, or even if you moderately enjoy this podcast, it would help uh, boost our visibility in the ratings and help other people find us if you would leave us a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, I'd really appreciate it if you would just take a minute and do that. So, well, that's it for this week. Aaron, uh, how do we sign off? Oh, I say my name, and then you say your name, and then you do a pirate thing. (laughs) Okay, until next week, I'm Nate. And I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. (laughs) Yo-ho! The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.